Welcome inside the Celtics Life podcast. The second round schedule versus the Milwaukee Bucks is set, and the other series around the league are coming into focus as well. Marcus Smart is feeling better, and we're ready to see Boston take on the Bucks this Sunday. So without further ado, let's dive right in. I'm Justin Quinn, here with Cam Tabatabai, and we've got some feelings about that series. But before we do, let's take a look back at the Pacers. Cam, how you doing? What do you think of this uh, sweep? Uh, I'm doing well. It was good to see the Celtics, I guess, overachieve. But I guess my my biggest takeaway from the series is that, well, correct me if I'm wrong, kind of the prevailing talking head point is the Celtics, it was disappointing, right? Isn't there kind of like Disappointing. Yeah, no, I'm hearing that too, and I think it's silly, but go ahead, continue. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. They still swept. Uh, They took care of what was a top three defense all year, and... After Oladipo went down, that kind of maintained. So, I mean, the Celtics were always going to win that series. I don't think anyone had any qualms about that. But I don't think that this was like a, oh, the same old Celtics still in a funk. They swept. And with, a, I think, a seven and a half point margin, I mean, it wasn't resounding, but it looked pretty good to me. Um, so that's kind of my takeaway is there's still a lot of negativity, maybe nationally. I guess maybe in town people are not feeling so glum. Um, and I think that there's room for improvement because I Horford played great, but offensively he wasn't, you know, lights out. And Kyrie had his moments, but he has another level to hit. So I thought the Celtics played great. I saw really good things out of Jalen Brown and Gordon Hayward, which is exactly what we were looking for. So this whole, ah, uh, the Celtics are limping into the second round or whatever BS we're kind of hearing, I'm not really about that. Yep. That's pretty much my take on it as well. Uh, I'm definitely feeling you on the Kyrie and probably Al and probably several other players as well still have a lot in the tank. I don't really think, uh, other than, you know, maybe closing, that they really gave their all throughout this series. And even despite that, even if they had, uh, to your point, top three defense, even, even if we aren't talking a top three defense, but we're just talking, you know, one of the worst playoff teams uh, in, in this year's playoffs, pretty much all of them, with maybe the exception of Detroit, just because of the whole the whole Blake situation, any of those teams, and really even almost even, even the Bucks almost lost a game to them for much of the, the last game I think it was they were playing. They were trailing in that game, and you know they just had the firepower that was just undeniable versus such a decimated and offensively weak team, which didn't have a top three defense. But my point is that it's very hard to get past a playoff team four games in a row undefeated for any team. I mean, we are looking at the Warriors right now. Uh, We can talk about that more in a little bit. Uh, Down two games to the Clippers, which is another team that people were down the Celtics were losing to. But they are a tough team, and I don't think people are really giving a lot of these other teams the credit they deserve to. Greenlands is completely off. Yeah. No, I thought it was... Uh, it wasn't that exciting of, an ex- of a series, but I thought it was exactly what the Celtics needed, and uh, they delivered. So we're about to talk about the Bucks and any doubts that we might have, but I thought for a first-round performance from one of the premier teams in the conference, the Celtics played as good as advertised. Yeah, I am, uh, I am not at all worried about anything that I've seen in this particular situation other than the fact that the Bucks are in a lot of ways eerily similar to a young Miami Heat team that was just really starting to come together after not the best, you know, early performance. Uh, But 
in, in a very nuclear sort of way, when, when the Celtics had to face that Miami Heat team in 2011, um, by the time they did, they were dealing with one of the, the best young teams in the league. And even though, you know, we aren't filled with a bunch of, uh, I don't know, I guess you could say aging veterans, you know, it's kind of a talent deficiency, not because of Father Time, uh, but because time hasn't happened yet. Uh, I feel like they're, they are kind of at the same level of ability barring uh, some some pretty big X factors. And that's really just, you know, how good can Kyrie, you know, play in the playoffs in the Boston system? Uh, but more importantly, uh, where does Gordon Hayward fit in all of this? Because, I mean, we can also talk about this, you know, Marcus Smart in this new series. Uh, it sounds like he's going to be able to at least theoretically be able to play in it. Whether or not he's going to be able to contribute and whether or not we will even see the Celtics playing by that point are entirely different questions. Just some, some eagle-eyed views on this series uh, from your perspective. Well, uh, I just, right before we, we hopped on, I saw Brogdon is out at least the first two games. Uh, and he and Smart are different players, but we'll say they're both on the shelf early on, and that kind of is a wash in terms of um, turning the tide in any direction. Because uh, you're right, I mean, the oblique injury, not that I've ever suffered that, but... Uh, is said to be incredibly painful, and even Marcus Smart it can only play th- tolerate so much. So uh, I don't think that the Celtics can really hang their hat on him coming back, but that would obviously be uh, pretty tremendous. I think Gordon Hayward's continued upward rise is only good, if not great, for the Celtics. Um, the problem is that he just will never have the size, even injury notwithstanding, to pair up with uh, Giannis. So he has to be complimentary in that way, uh, especially if he continues to roll off the bench, which I kind of think is the right move, um, something we can talk about. And then, yeah, Kyrie and Giannis play completely different styles, completely different positions, uh, except for, I guess, sometimes Giannis plays the point. Um, but they are the two stars. So uh, as meteoric as Giannis probably will be, Kyrie needs to nearly be that good for the Celtics to have a chance, I think. I think so, too. And honestly, we need another source of offense every game. Like, literally every game that we play against them, we need another source of offense besides Kyrie to be very consistent in this series, in my opinion, just because they're going, they're going to double Kyrie immediately until someone else is, is hitting from somewhere on the floor, whether it's from deep or whether it's, you know, a, a more high percentage shot that the Celtics don't really do and that the Bucks defend very well against. But somehow, I mean, if we go cold, we're losing, in my opinion. So if we have one of those, you know, 30, 30% shooting nights from, from deep as a team, that's not going to be a win for Boston. There's just We just don't have the tools. Uh, so that really brings me more around to how we are going to be dealing with this on both ends of the floor. And to me, like, I'm sure you've read the pieces and been paying attention for the last several seasons, uh, particularly last season when we figured out that not just Al, but also Shemi uh, can, can really work together to create continuous coverage basically the entire time he's on the floor to mostly force him to jump shoot. They are both strong enough to largely slow him, if, if not stop him, on drives. Uh, and that so far has been really, really crucial. Uh, myself, I was very worried when we took on, uh, when they took on uh, Marodic, Nicola Marodic. Um, 
And, you know, the emergence of Brooke was bad enough, but the idea of even more outside shooting, uh, that, that scared the crap out of me. And so far, even though Marodic, you know, he does have those hot nights and he's, they're very difficult to stop on those nights, his his defense sucks and he's very exploitable. Uh, so <laughs> um, you, can, you can put Tatum on him and he'll roast him. Um, so, I mean, for the most part, I, I would say there's a slight advantage there, but... Um, I'm really curious uh, whether or not you think, uh, you know, we know that Coach Bud is not real keen on making changes, particularly this this late in the season in a series, for example. Certainly so, not in the postseason. Yeah, and he's, he's totally, he's maybe the biggest emblematic example of the pop uh, school of coaching. Whether you think that's good or bad is, you know, I, I'm hearing a lot of slander to that tree right now coming out of uh, this, the Nate Duncan camp. And to be honest, uh, based on what I'm seeing, you know, I, I realize he doesn't um, have the firepower that he used to have. But to me, that almost means like you should experiment more because who thought you were going to be there anyway, really? Uh, but I, I digress. Uh but my point is really just like, what do you do? You think that we might see something scary, like maybe Giannis at the five, or some other kind of maybe smaller adjustment that won't, you know, rock the the Budenholzer slash Spurs tree uh, boat? Um, probably no. Uh, if Bud's track history is any indication, and by the same metric, the Bucks finished. Uh, I mean, if you want to talk about defeating top defenses, the Bucks finished with the top rated defense. Uh, and a top five offense, uh, and you'd have to imagine it's a if it ain't broke, don't fix it kind of thing. I'm sure Bud has different things he'd like to do to kind of stop the Celtics, but uh, it's not a super flexible roster that the team has, with the exception of Giannis, who can play and guard just about any position. There's specialists or people a little too big or a little too small to kind of slide in and out across the uh, the court. So um, Giannis will go where he needs to go. I mean, to even kind of put a label on his position is kind of antithetical to he, he, I mean, I think he's broken the wheel in terms of what a basketball player is. So, uh, I don't know that the Bucks throw that many kind of crazy different looks at the Celtics. They don't really have the depth to do that, especially with Brogdon out. So, uh, I think it might be a little chalky and therein kind of lies an opportunity for the Celtics because they do have the coaching and the roster flexibility to make bigger changes, in my opinion. A variety of changes, except the one thing that they are very good at stopping, which is basically layups on the other end. It's basically pointless. (laughs) And it's great because the Celtics don't really go there uh and you know normally i would say that's a liability but this is the one series where i feel that despite the national narrative that the celtics are doomed to lose from most circles not all but definitely a majority um i feel like that may be uh, a bit overdone and you know i'm saying this consciously uh trying to counter my personal inclinations through the accident of birth of being born in new england um I don't know. Maybe it's crazy, but do you think that Boston has a good chance, a puncher's chance, no chance in this series? Like, what, what do you think uh, in terms of how this might play out? Uh, I think, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to not be a homer, too. <laughs> I, I can go one of two ways with it, right? I think 
it is naive to look at the season that the Bucks had and what Giannis has done and can do like over time and in a given moment and not think, all right, this is the flashpoint of like the next great chapter in the NBA. It's, it's, it's antithetical to how stardom is born to look at this and not recognize just how special it is. Um, but then at the same time, the Bucks don't have tremendous playoff depth and like Middleton and Giannis and, uh, Bledsoe and a few others have shown that they don't really perform that well in the, on the brightest of lights. So I think the Celtics have an edge there because even the youngest players have only known the Western, I mean the Eastern conference finals. So they, you would think that they know kind of what it takes for a deep playoff run and how to get hit in the jaw. Um, and then you're right that the bucks have incredible rim protection, but that's kind of an opportunity. They play this drop zone that is really good um, but it, and by design, it leaves them exposed to open, I mean, to kick threes. And I, I, this sounds right that the Celtics for a while um, had like the best stats for uh, dribble drive pass kind of looks, right? I mean, that's kind of a bread and butter for the Celtics team is Kyrie kicks it in and kicks it out. Um, I, so I think there's a lot of opportunity there because like we said, I don't know that the Bucks radically changed their defense. I think they put Unless they put Giannis at the five, and even when they put Giannis at the five, they have a, a bend-don't-break zone that has a lot of opportunity either in certain areas in the mid-range or in the corner. So um, I think that the Celtics have a chance to kind of really expose the way that the Bucks play defense. The, they only had one win against the Bucks this season, and it, they had to break their franchise record for threes. Um, yeah. And so this, coming out of my mouth, I know this is going to sound desperate, but there's a chance where the Celtics just shoot them out of the gym and live by the three, die by the three, as we saw last season, is not necessarily a smart uh, place to hang your hat. Um, but I think that there's a chance that the Celtics can uh, kind of take over the, the Bucks defense in that way. Um, and kind of for that reason, I'll, I'll let you get a word in first. Uh, I, I think you shouldn't uh, start semi because I think – De- exposing the Bucks' defense is more important than than. I agree. Cool. Um, do you you want to take the lead on that? Yeah. So I think the uh, the, the 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 notion of of Shemi as a, a savior to the system defense uh, that is that will that will keep Boston in the game as long as they really lock down. But it's not going to win them games. This team is way too offensively powerful. Uh, if, if anybody heats up from of, of, of their three major shooters, we even have a couple of competent non non big minutes guys who can can really you know stroke the three. If any of those guys really catches fire, then that that's probably enough to to bust the Celtics if they don't have their best offensive lineups out there. So I completely agree. Shemi just needs to be there to spell Al. It's either. Um, Al or Semi, you can't put them both on the floor at the same time. It's very attractive because then it makes it much more difficult for him. But they just have too much shooting this year. We have seen uh, we have seen Brooke bury teams with this this like crazy deep three that he's been shooting, um, and, and much more versatile, particularly for a guy his size. Uh, it's not just a corner three, you know. It's it's really dangerous. He's hitting them above the break. He's hitting them all over the place, and like granted. 
I think in those situations, you can deploy Aaron Baines on him because he's mobile enough to cover him. But, I mean, is Aaron Baines, you know, going to be on the floor at the same time that we have Alan Shemi? I don't really see that. That would be a very weird lineup, you know? So I completely agree. They need to have their best offensive lineup on the floor uh, and hope that their, their shots are falling. You know, if people are, are having a funk, then they need to not shoot their way out of it for this series. They can't shoot their way out of it. They will lose if they shoot their way out of it. So they need to just pass the damn ball and buckle down on defense when their shot isn't falling. Shoot three times, doesn't fall, take a break, come back in the next half, see how it does then. You know, I think that's really like I, I, I've been seeing guys just try to shoot their way out of funks all season long. And that just can't happen. There is no room for that in this series. Um, I don't expect any big counters uh, from Budenholzer, but I, I think we, we both mostly agree that it's going to be, you know, Kyrie L, uh, Jalen. Uh, but but then what do we do for the starting uh, for the starting bigs? Like, I'm, I'm curious uh you know, three, three through five, what you think the ideal offensive lineup is. Uh, so, I, again, I don't think you start Semi just because he's such an offensive liability um, that the scariest thing I could think of is Giannis just having free range, being a help defender. You know what I mean? Like, the, again, they play his own defense, and if Giannis just has to worry about Semi, he would just devastate the Celtics. Um, so for that reason, I think you kind of have to have uh, offensive weapons all the way around. Um, just because I think, again, I think the way the Celtics win is they they try to stop what the Bucks do so well on defense. Uh, I would probably start Baines. I think this Brooke Lopez three thing, I'm willing to call a bluff on that. I, you're right that there have been entire games where Lopez catches fire and he just kind of takes out the opponents and it's something that you couldn't have predicted even two years ago. Uh, but I wonder if the, that's a way you win a playoff series. So if you have Al on Giannis and then you have Baines who can stretch the floor, I think he asks Lopez to defend what Lopez in turn asks other teams to defend. Can Lopez step out of the paint and be an effective defender? And then suddenly there's a, a new set of spacing, but at the same time, uh, Baines can get in there and, and also physically expose that that zone that they've got going on. So uh, I would probably start Lopez. Uh, Marcus Morris. Oh, no. <laughs> he's better. He's better, he's better than he was and not nearly as good as he was to start the season. Uh, I would be okay with starting him. Or uh, I guess Jalen is is locked in as a starter. Do we assume that he's starting? At least until Smart gets back. And I, I honestly, I don't see how you, you – shake up what worked in the last series until you know that Smart is back. And I also like the idea of having him uh, freelance uh, with the ball so that way Terry can just, you know, run around and do his thing uh, and, and just, you know, be free of having ball handling duties on the second unit. Um, I think that will also open up a lot of opportunities for Gordon Hayward if Gordon Hayward is not starting. But um, I don't necessarily think that is out of the question in this series to see Gordon uh, play up at the, at the four and Al at the five, uh, if we see some trouble uh, with, with Aaron working against uh, Brooke. Right. I think if, I think if uh, Giannis goes to the center position, then we get to finally see the lineup that we were promised. Uh, yep. Kyrie Tatum, Brown, Hayward, and Horford, which 
Uh, I mean, we've only seen moments of it, and it was fine. And against kind of a Bucks team with Giannis at the five and shooters spread out, it might be really good. So uh, it's kind of exciting. Um, I think we're right to have tepid optimism as people who want the Celtics to win the series, but um, there's a chance where... Did it ever... What what is it? The Newport Five? Did it ever have a good name? Nope. (laughs) Newport Five sounds like a a shitty small pack of cigarettes, personally, but I mean, it's just... Something that you pay for with change. Um, Yeah. But whatever, the Newport Five, whatever it is, uh, there's a chance that this is their moment. Um, So if I was a betting person, I would probably still take the bucks if we're being perfectly honest. Uh, But that's a pretty... There's a cool world where, um, for the reasons that we've outlined, the Bucks uh, counter is to put Giannis at the five, and from there, the Celtics go small, and it's everything we were ever promised. I think there's a good chance that we could see that if we could steal at least one of the, the first two games uh, in Milwaukee. To be completely frank, I, I think that we, we really, really should be putting all the energy into the first game. Uh, I know they're going to be expecting it, but I, I'm not sure we'll have a better chance to win at home before they can impose a narrative on the series. If they blow us out at home in the first game, it will be very difficult for us to win another game the game after. And if we don't win one of the first two games, I just don't see a path to winning. I totally agree with that. Uh, I, it's scary to put that much onus on the first two games, but that's probably the nature of the beast. Yeah, I mean, I know, you know, there, there are situations where teams have come back, you know, down the whole two, even in recent years. Uh, and, you know, three one jokes aside, even even crazier uh, holes in that. But uh, I, I, I honestly, I'm with you. You know, I, I saw this coming uh, in terms of the Bucks plus Budenholzer being a much better team. Uh, and they have exceeded even my predictions. Um I think that this this might be the the toughest, hardest fought matchup in the entire East series. And based on what I'm seeing uh, between the Golden State Warriors uh, and Houston uh, struggling a little bit in their first round matchups with some good, don't get me wrong, very good teams, but the, these are not the behemoths that we were promised at the beginning of the season so far. Um, it might even be one of the most compelling uh, matchups of the entire playoffs. I mean, I could be wrong. We could get blown out of the water, and I might look silly, but I don't know. I mean, I am I am not too uh, I'm not too impressed with what I'm seeing, uh, particularly in the East, uh, but around the league. Maybe we, we can uh, touch on some of the other series that are going on and uh, try to prognosticate uh, what we might be up against later on. As of this recording, we are doing this on Thursday afternoon. Uh, Philadelphia has eliminated Brooklyn and put to bed the most interesting rivalry um, I can remember for a while now. Uh, People might want to say that the whole Washington Celtics rivalry was pretty interesting and it had chippy moments, but I mean, there there was nothing compared to the entertainment going on uh, in that series. And now Philly uh, is going to be advancing to take on the other uh, thing that people thought might be an upset, but turned out to be kind of a, a bit of a dud, particularly with the way that Toronto just took over that series. Um, what are your thoughts on Philadelphia versus Toronto? 
Yeah, uh, I kind of think you're right. I think that the Sixers have a chance insofar as there's still some feng shui that could exist. I mean, just the star power in that starting lineup. Uh, it's such an awkward fit. It, 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 it's always perplexing to watch. But the talent, the raw talent is there. Um, it's it's almost, this is heavy-handed, it's almost pathetic that Jared Dudley was this kind of like galvanizing villain for a team that fancies itself a conference finalist. He was complimenting him, too. In well, yeah, there's that, too. Um, <laughs> but, like, not that you have been there, but you kind of have to act like you've been there if Jared Dudley is the thorn in your side. Um, yeah. But the Sixers do have outstanding talent, um, and they're really good on the boards. I think that's somewhere that they could give Toronto a lot of trouble because Toronto's not a great rebounding team, uh, even with Marcus Gasol. Um, but at the same time, this Raptors team, I think we're really sleeping on them. Uh, they're just so cool, calm, and collected. They play some scary defense with a lot of uh, switchy looks up and down, like uh, Siakam and Leonard and even Danny Green. Uh, just the way that their wings slash like stretch bigs can kind of move in and out of position is really horrifying if you're in the Eastern Conference. Um, their offensive game is a little uninspired, but then again, they have raw talent and flexibility. So um, I really hope it's a good matchup. I really, I'm really interested to see the rap what the Raptors can be at their best. I think from a fan perspective, I'm rooting for the Sixers to put it together just so we have like a long, interesting series. But surprisingly, I think. Uh, Philly's only, um, I mean, uh, the Raptors are only like a minus 200 to win the series. And Vegas has a, a seven-game series as the most likely outcome. I don't know where that's coming from. I would probably favor the Raptors and decently heavily. Uh, but I'm not paid to do that, so what do I know? I, I think they're going to take a game, maybe two game, but I really don't see them. They just, you know, depth doesn't usually matter, uh, but there's just not going to be any moments where Philadelphia's offense is going to, you know, I think be better positioned than Toronto's defense. And, you know, like I think that they have this fairly, fairly similar offensive firepower, uh, but this just Toronto's defense scares the ever-living shit out of me. And I, I would be more nervous about facing Toronto in this round than I would be about the Bucks. Even though the Bucks are clearly a much better team uh, overall, I, mean, oh, I guess that's debatable. To me, they are a much better team overall. I'll say that much. Um, I don't know. I, I, I think that there is a path to a seven-game series. I just don't see. I don't see how they can. Particularly, you know, I, I, I caught uh, some mention that Mike Scott, which is really like you know thirty-three percent of their functional playoff bench. Um, Having having tendonitis and other issues and uh, being questionable, yeah. So, so I don't see how how they could possibly you know play Joel and be that many minutes. And you know this is even assuming he's able to play that many minutes. They just they have some very serious depth problems, and it's very unfortunate you know to everybody uh, who is a fan of that team that they didn't make some some moves just to get at least one or two more competent people on that bench. You know, NBA level players. No offense to the people who I am alluding to, but I mean, a lot of those guys are, are like G League Plus guys, just filling up roster spots. Well, actually, um, the and, Sixers bench produced, I think, like 33, 34 points per game in the Net series, and uh, the Raptors bet, bench only twenty two, twenty three. So, uh, really, that's probably out of necessity, if we're being honest. Um, 
But just to their credit, the, the Sixers bench did, I think, overperform. Um, but you're probably right in saying, in a in a real serious matchup against an elite team, the, that bench doesn't cut it, especially with Mike Scott being out. And saying that Mike Scott being out hurts your bench depth is probably yeah. an indictment in and of itself. I mean, they have Boban, Ennis, and Mike Scott. I, I, I think they have guys who can stay on the floor, uh, but barring, you know, basically the best game of their lives, they're not going to be making a significant impact. Uh, and worse, you know, when Joel Embiid uh, sits, you know, we do see some better play out of Simmons, but uh, against a team like Toronto, I don't think that's going to matter at all. Yeah, no. Because the Raptors bench, again, I mean, they didn't, I guess they didn't perform as well, but I think they have the wherewithal to perform better if they need to. Yeah. They, they, they seem like a pretty well-rounded, like their, their bench to me at least seems like an equivalent bench to a lot of the teams in the lower uh, end of the playoffs starting units. They, they have pretty good players on their bench. Um, I don't know that bench play is necessarily going to be the, the key thing so much as just the 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 lack of uh, on on Toronto side, just on on Philadelphia side, they, I don't think they're going to have the horses to be able to stay in it or deal with any kind of injury or rest or anything of that sort. So, and it, one yeah. or two injuries, and they're they're done. A twisted ankle is all it takes. Although I don't know, I mean, maybe we're dwelling on it too long. Tobias Harris, I feel like we haven't seen the best of him, so I guess they have <laughs> another gear. But I mean, especially I mean, if Embiid goes down well that's what's interesting i mean we're over talking about the celtics but the celtics took care of the bucks last year and they didn't even have Kyrie or hayward i guess for that matter so uh talk about flexibility and and rising to the occasion uh i don't see that happening with the sixers i mean i guess we could see you know you know jimmy butler has not really been the jimmy butler that i think a lot of us expected in terms of the playoffs and maybe that's just because he didn't see the need uh but, you know, again, again, for your point with Tobias also, uh, they, they may also, I may be being unfair to the Philadelphia fan base. I'm apologizing if you're listening. Uh, there, there may be something to that because I am giving the benefit of the doubt for, for the Celtics and the Pacer series that maybe they have some things that they haven't unlocked. And maybe if I had been following them more closely, I might see that too. So, yeah, I'll concede. They might have something, and I hope they do, to be completely honest. I really want them to. <laughs> no, I mean, this is the conference semifinals we expected. Uh, let's see how it pairs up to the conference semifinals of our dreams. Now, at West, uh, Houston has eliminated Utah 4-1. I think most of us expected that, even though I think we all thought Utah was going to put more of a fight. Uh, their shooting, their outside shooting has basically just been terrible. Corver uh, you know, hasn't been a show of himself. Uh, has been not so great. Um, but they will face, Houston will face uh, Dubs Clips, uh, the winner of the Dubs Clips uh, series that is uh, happening right now. And that, I think, uh, I would love to hear your opinion on what exactly you think is going on with the Warriors. I mean, are they losing because they just don't give a shit and they know that they can beat them? Are they losing because Boogie was super important to them? I doubt it. Um, <laughs> uh, like, what's what's the deal? Why are they, why is supposedly the greatest uh, offensive team of all time 
dropped two games to, like as I said before, a very competent, very deep uh, Clippers team. It's pretty easy to assume that they're just a little bored or um, detached or looking forward to the Houston series. You would think, though, that they would have at least an acute understanding of how tragic it would be to drop one more game and have their back against the wall. Uh, so there's got to be something up. I don't know that I can put my finger on it. Didn't Durant go for 45 last night? I mean, it's not like the stars aren't showing up for real. Uh, at the same time, the Clippers have nothing to lose, everything to gain, and as big a chip on your shoulder as you can have. So they're playing a motivated team. They're playing maybe dismotivated themselves. Uh, no, I don't really think I can like figure out the pulse of why they might drop two games, but we've seen championship teams either struggle or at least not excel in the first round. So uh, the next apathy. Yeah, that's probably what it is. Um, they, they don't even have like, they don't have a need to feel embarrassed. They don't really have a need to feel worried. Um, they, I mean, I guess the 31 point blowout is pretty embarrassing. If you're a competitor at any level, you can't really take that on the chin. But uh, you have to assume that they'll put it they'll put it together when they need to, either next game or the game after. So probably apathy and and being a little blind, probably a little blindsided by just how competitive the Clippers are has something to do. With it. Yeah, I think that, that that definitely happened to Boston. I mean, when they when they you know wasted us towards the end of the season. Uh, there was a lot of people who were just flipping out, and I've been saying it, particularly particularly after the the, the trade uh, that, that sent Avery Bradley to Memphis. They got some some very good pieces out of that, and they were already a fairly competent team. And as much as I love Avery Bradley, his his uh, health issues, his groin tear, made him a very mediocre at best player this season, and it really improved one of their weakest spots. Uh, just by removing him from the rotation, I, I think he'll, you know, I'm not you know, slandering Avery Bradley. Uh, playing with a torn groin can't be easy. It's not that far off of, of what you're dealing with. Different end of the pelvis, but not that far off of what you're dealing with. When you have um, the issue that Marcus Smart is dealing with, all that movement starts with, you know, your lower trunk and upper legs in the NBA that you really need to have uh, quick twitch, super fast, uh, reacting to whatever's happening. So I don't blame him for that, but the, the team that they became after that was a even better version of an already good team. Um, and, you know, Doc is a good coach. He motivates people to be more than they are, uh, particularly in this new iteration that he, he gives a shit about younger players, which is, you know, he's never hated them like some people have said, but he's never been particularly inclined to care about them either. Um, so I'm not at all surprised. Uh, but the, the, the series, I think, that was the biggest surprise for me uh, that just ended in spectacular fashion uh, was Oklahoma City being eliminated by Portland. Did you have a chance to watch that shot live, or were you like me and had to watch it uh, after your phone blew up and everyone went crazy? No, I watched it live. I was like loosely following the first half, and Dame went for whatever it was, 35. So I thought, I'll stick around. I forget. I watched like... Game of Thrones like trailer explainer during most of the third quarter, thinking I would go to bed after that, and then the score was close, so I just kind of flipped it on. I had no idea what I was getting myself into, uh, and whoa, was that fantastic! Not only was it 
just like a tremendous fall, not from grace, I guess, but uh, just that's how you choke away a game on the behalf of uh, the Thunder. They just couldn't do anything right. And it, it's not, it wasn't an implosion. It's just that's how you lose games. You, uh, you uh, give up a charge, you throw a ball out of bounds, you miss an easy layup, and suddenly the uh, Blazers are in a position to do that, uh, Dame Lillard in particular. So, yeah, no, I caught it live, and I'm very thankful I did. Definitely one of the most spectacular shots I can remember since, you know, Ray Allen helped sink the Spurs. Uh, they're going to be resting uh, while they wait for the, the Denver-San Antonio series to play out. And I thought that the, the Spurs were going to bury Denver just because of their their youth and, you know, lack of lack of adaptation to what the Spurs were doing to them, which is super weird. Uh, but, you know, Denver made some adjustments. They now have a 3-2 lead. Uh, who do you think takes that one? Uh, I'll, I'll lean on the Spurs because the experience they have and the coaching, but they're both just really strange rosters with really strange, hard-to-identify star power. Um, they're kind of like the perfect matchup for one another. Um, so I'll take the Spurs just because I'm not sure. Like like we were saying before, this feels like it's the Bucks moment. I don't know that it feels like it's the Nuggets moment. Um, and I think that they could probably get outplayed and outcoached. But uh, like I said, I am not a betting person. This is the series that I would stay away from. Hard. Same. I can't decide. I really have no opinion. Either way, I can talk myself into either. You basically just talked me away from Denver to San Antonio. <laughs> I was going to say Denver. Um, so I'm just going to push on that one and skip it all together. Uh, I guess we could skip uh, the West for now because, you know, there's still a lot in flux there. Um, but who do you think will be coming out of the East if Boston advances uh, or if the Bucks advance? Like, what do you see as an Eastern Conference Finals? Well, uh, I will say I'd probably take the Bucks and the Raptors in the Eastern Conference Finals. And then from there, I really don't know. Uh, Kawhi Leonard two years ago was right there with Durant and LeBron, uh, just like across the board statistically and that much more defensively. So if he can kind of regain that, then he's as close to Giannis as you can get. In which case... Uh, there are two teams with different styles and uh, different rosters, so I don't really know which way I lean. I think that would be a hell of a series. Like, one of the best series the Eastern Conference has produced in over a decade. Um, and, shoot, man, I really don't know who I would take. I guess I would take the Bucks and go all in with the, this is Giannis's time, but I think that the Raptors are better than we understand. I think that we are sleeping on them because they're in Canada and they don't get the same kind of coverage. So uh, I just hedged so hard, um, but I think it would be an amazing <laughs> series. Yeah, I really can't – I can't talk myself into a, a – like, don't get me wrong. I am not saying Boston can't do it, but uh, I, I, to get past Milwaukee and then get past Toronto – Jesus Christ, that's a fucking tall order based on what we've seen so far. I don't necessarily – like if you had told me before we played a game this season that somehow with this roster all reassembled that the Celtics would talk themselves into the Celtics uh, being an underdog again, uh, I would laugh because that is a trope and a bad one. Uh, but they are. you know, They really, really are and should be. Hey, in February, we just did this whole thing where ugh, Tom Brady is – pretending like he's an underdog that's so embarrassing and it worked 
So I don't know, maybe Brad Stevens rents a bus and they take a trip to Foxborough and uh, Brady talks some weird underdog mentality stuff into them. And maybe, maybe it is valid, but you're probably right. I mean, I wrote an article uh, on the rope-a-dope Celtics tongue-in-cheek, and everyone thought I was completely serious. And my point was not that the Celtics were intentionally sucking on purpose to confuse everybody, but that they were saving some some things and sticking to other things with a goal for deploying them in this context. But my concern, and I guess I didn't make it clear enough in that article, is that a lot of these bad habits that – you know, the hang of the heads when shots don't fall, like that's just fucking death for this team, particularly against the next two rounds. It's just death. There's no path forward if that happens. More than one night. Maybe we could survive it once. And that's it. You know, so I don't know. I'm not sure there's too much else to say at this point until we actually see some game. Right, I agree with that. So some minor, some minor issues around the league. Uh, the Lakers are still Lakers in. Uh, there's <laughs> what the fuck happened out there, man? Like this is this is embarrassing. Like I know that lots of people love to revel in the Schadenfreude of the Lakers sucking so so hard, but like as someone who was raised on Celtics versus Lakers, I want them to be good enough so we can beat them in the finals, and that's just not going to happen anytime soon. So I don't know, kid for head coach. What do you think? Uh, I don't know. I don't know why that is being floated, but I guess I can't really identify a free agent coach or someone that you would bring in that is of the highest caliber and deserving of the Lakers and of LeBron's esteem. Uh, it might just be that there really aren't that many fantastic coaches around. And I think Kidd probably was a little bit better in Milwaukee than people gave him credit for. But, oh, sure. I agree. Uh, I don't know. I don't know that LeBron needs an all-time coach. I think probably he just needs someone he respects and will listen to. Um, and the the roster probably needs an overhaul at this point. But, uh, yeah, the, the, the Lakers have bigger problems than head coach. I think Jason Kidd has turned himself into kind of a meme in NBA circles, especially as a coach. So it suits this team. Um, it probably wouldn't be as bad as all that, but it would probably get quite a rise out of NBA fans. So based on what you were saying, now the other two candidates who were being floated, Monty Williams and Ty Lue, uh, I think Monty Williams is a desperation move. And if they, if they make that move, uh, I just see Anthony Davis not coming to their roster, no matter what happens at this point. Um, and I, I don't, I don't think that uh, he would last more than a season with LeBron. I just maybe, maybe that could happen. I have no idea if they have any kind of deeper relationship than the superficial one. I'm, I'm aware of the, uh, the 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 USA Basketball connection is really the only thing that I know that they have any kind of contact through, um, and that might be enough to get him to to you know play ball with whatever Williams wants to do. Uh, but Ty Lue, I think, is probably the wisest if. Uh, kind of still an eye roll, uh, you know, with the whole LeBron as GM kind of narrative. Uh, but at this point, I, I kind of feel like LeBron might be a better GM than the one that, who's being the operating GM. So I don't know. Um, you have any opinions on that? You want to move on to the other general manager uh, point of issue? Uh, yeah, no, I think you're right. I mean, I don't actually hold Ty Lue in that high esteem in terms of being a coach, but I think coaching, yeah. I think coaching LeBron is 
pretty tough. They just made such a toxic situation that they probably need to blow the whole thing up. Um, and I don't know how much patience LeBron will have with that. It's kind of a grave that he dug for himself here. So uh, a lot has to give in Los Angeles for them to even be a deep playoff team. But uh, I don't know. Uh, I think it's quite a mess. Um, and I think whoever comes in is just going to have to tear it down and build it back up and hope that LeBron can kind of carry them the next season. And if he's healthy, that he probably can. So we're not that far removed from it kind of being back to being okay. But right now it doesn't look great. Yeah. I mean, at least, you know, the one good thing I will say about that whole thing is Jason Kidd is not a Laker and never was a Laker uh, as far as I'm aware of. Uh, so that that's a, co- that's a coaching search. <laughs> that is an actual coaching search. Even if it's, you know, one more person than someone who's affiliated with LeBron and Williams. That's three coaches. That is a bona fide coaching search. So kudos to them. You may be right. There may not be that many candidates out there who would actually consider this job. I, I find that surprising, you know, considering that there is no cap on how much you can pay your coach and they have the money to pay some one of the bigger uh, salaries in the league. So, I mean, that I think is uh, needing to be sorted by a very, very wise hire for general manager. And the guy I think who could have done the best job, uh, I alluded to this a little bit earlier, uh, is now in another place. Uh, and that would be uh, Griffin. Um who David Griffin, formerly of the Cleveland Cavaliers, he would have been an absolutely perfect hire for the Lakers, but now he's dealing with another clutch uh, sports uh, signee. And, you know, in the last podcast, as a, this would be crazy, but don't discount it kind of prediction, I suggested that he might try to keep Anthony Davis with the team. And I assumed that those uh, negotiations would take place privately in case they were laughed at and rebuffed. Uh, but that didn't happen. You know, it became public with his manager uh, basically going along with the concept that they will at least sit down and have a conversation about it. Uh, what do you think? Do you think there's any chance at all that Anthony Davis might play out his final year? And if so, is that a good thing for us or a bad thing? Well, I think it depends. The Celtics, I, I wrote about this for Off the Glass, um, which it should be pretty recent if you want to check that out. Uh, The Celtics are in this really precarious spot right now where if they advance, that's good, and there's a chance that the front office says, all right, Kyrie is the man, let's go get Anthony Davis and support him, or even the crop of players that we have complement each other really well, let's run it back with this group, and we don't, at the very least, we don't want to send Jason Tatum away for uh, Anthony Davis. Uh, But then there's a chance that Giannis just beats the living hell out of the Celtics and Kyrie looks around and says, I need a uh, Giannis stopper. I need Kevin Durant. Uh, So there's a really weird, uh, a a bunch of pathways for, for this to take. I think, uh, I don't know that the Celtics would be that wise to trade Jason Tatum for Anthony Davis, just because of the cost and his injuries and his disposition and whether or not he would resign. Um, but then if I'm the Pelicans, I short of that trade, I don't know that I move on from him. I wouldn't be surprised if the league went to Anthony Davis and said, you can't go to the Lakers. 
a la Paul George, that this is tampered too much. And if the Lakers are off the table, then I don't know where his stardom, I mean, the Clippers could make a move. Maybe the Knicks, although I don't really know what the Knicks have. It, it really depends on who gets the rights to Zion Williamson and what they want to do. I think that's really the only chip that could convince the Pelicans because they're still playing the, this like stubborn Benson ball. Um, so I don't know. I don't know that the Celtics should want to make that trade, but it's probably still very on the table for them. Yeah, I think there are so many moving parts. Uh, you know, the to, to jump back to the whole Clipper situation, that may be, you know, adding some water to some seeds that have already been planted. And, you know, that may just be, you know, keep dragging out terrible metaphors, adding fuel to the fire uh, to, to convince Kevin Durant to leave to someplace like, you know, the Boston Celtics, or maybe an entirely different team. Maybe uh, Kyrie leaves, blah, blah, blah. We know all these narratives, and really there's no way to tell uh, how they're going to pan out even after some of these colossal matchups that are, you know, shaping up this week. So I don't know. I kind of feel like maybe we should just cut it here and, uh, you know, get ready for the game and what could be some absolutely massive implications for just about everyone involved, at least in the East and possibly the West as well. What do you think? That sounds good to me. All right. Well, regular readers know the deal. Check out the links at the top of CelticsLife.com. You can get tickets to the home games under the heading uh, tickets, shirts, hoodies. You can't get anywhere else in the store. Uh, You can find a pod on Wooshka, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, Himalaya, most podcatcher apps. I mean, if if it aggregates RSS feeds, we're probably on there. Just search for our name, subscribe, download regularly. That helps us. So that way we rise in the ratings. We don't ask you for anything other than a five-star rating in, you know, your ear. So if you don't like something, please don't rate us low. Just let us know what we can do to bring the Celtics content that you want the way that you like it. You can use the the hashtag CLPOD uh, from me and Cam. We wish you well. Good luck to the Celtics. I know what I'll be doing Sunday afternoon. Take care, y'all. Yeah. Thanks.